Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. And we're online at kpcg.fm. And we have a live link at thetrumpet.com as well. Coming up on uh, this Monday edition, quite a few headlines to look at. Lots going on, including a teacher strike that's occurring, or at least a walkout. It's going on here in Oklahoma and another state uh, as well as a battle over the budget. Uh, some economy news uh, to talk about. And uh, quite a few other headlines uh, coming up today as well. That and more on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio. We're at 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm and the live link at thetrumpet.com. Thanks for joining us on this uh, Monday. Dwight Falk, Gino Chi here with you today. And uh, we were talking before we came on the air about how uh, cold it is here in Oklahoma. We've had a cold snap. I think on Saturday it was 74, 75. And then uh, on Sunday it was in the 30s. And it feels like it's about that today, too. Yeah, it's very unpredictable, the weather. I still haven't learned that you shouldn't expect consistency. No. Well, it's consist- consistently inconsistent, I guess. Exactly. Whatever you uh, are expecting to happen, probably the opposite will happen. So it's we've been up and down with the weather. But uh, I, if you want to look on the positive side of it, uh, it means that things aren't growing as fast. So hopefully I won't have to mow my lawn as soon. <laughs> there you go. Because there's always that... That time every spring when it dawns on me that, you know, i got to start cutting my grass again. And <laughs> so got to roll out the old mowers and see if everything's working. Mm-hmm. But uh, so a chilly day here in uh, Oklahoma area. Tonight is, uh, for the basketball fans out there, the uh, NCAA men's uh, basketball championship game, Villanova against uh, Michigan. And uh, people like to fill out those brackets sometimes. I thought that it was going to be, not that I know anything, I'm just guessing, of course, but I thought it was going to be Michigan and Duke. So I was, I had one of my teams right, but I had Duke <laughs> winning. So they're obviously not in it. They're not going to win. But Michigan's the underdog, I think. Uh, Villanova, quite a good team. So um, you were saying that you root for the underdog. Yeah, I root for the underdog, so that would be Michigan then. In every case. Yes. You're always going for the underdog. Yes, I, I don't like the, the bandwagon of... Like star players who just win all the time. I see. Villanova, yeah, they've been good last several years for sure. And uh, so uh, I guess Villanova is considered the best team remaining, and Michigan is kind of like the the hot streak. Mm -hmm. They're the hottest team remaining. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, Of course, Gino, you're from the Philippines originally. Mm -hmm. uh, Basketball is a big sport over there. Yeah, it's the biggest sport actually in the Philippines, so... The Americans brought it, and we stuck with it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of players go over there, like NBA players, mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant and others, to mm-hmm. because they're so popular right. and they can sell their their right. shoes <laughs> and their shirts. And uh, but there's a Philippine league, isn't there? Yes, there's a Philippine league. It's called the PBA, mm-hmm. Philippine Basketball Association. So <laughs> pretty much a uh, uh, a type of the NBA. Yeah. What's your What's your team from that league? I ha- actually haven't watched in a long time. Um, so I'm not aware of the teams there. Oh, okay. You're not, you don't have the inside scoop. Yeah. 
There's not too. I was trying to think if there's been any Filipinos that have made it to the NBA. Mm, have there not, been any? Not that I know of. Yeah, it's 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 uh, the height. You know, a little extra height usually is helpful, and uh, so it is interesting when you look at the different. Uh, the racial breakdown in the NBA is predominantly black, of course. There's right. a few white players. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Europeans, mm-hmm. white Europeans, are starting to get into the NBA too. And then, uh, but you don't. There's there's quite a few groups that you just don't see very many players in. Yeah, I guess it's, there's just more opportunities here in America to to pursue a career in basketball. Mm-hmm. Like back home, you have to worry about eating <laughs> so yeah, right if you really want to be good at basketball i think you have to have a good financial situation and yeah it's a risk to go that that way or route right yeah that's a great point because i sometimes i think about that you know they talk about a particular player and they'll say they were the greatest player ever mm-hmm. and i think well but how many other players or people could have been better but just weren't in a situation to do it right because they just were in in a, in a impoverished or, you know, like you said, you have to deal with some more uh, day-to-day living right. uh, uh, circumstances and don't have the extra, you know, uh, wealth and time to just go and pursue a sport as a profession. So it, it, it does, it's just another, another example of how blessed the United States has been that there are some people that can play games professionally and, and right. dedicate so much time to it. Yeah, there's definitely several factors to to that. Like one of them is, like you said, finance, and also uh, Filipinos are just not that tall, right? So <laughs> it's hard. You know, it's harder for um, shorter <laughs> players. Yeah, you got to be super, super quick. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that the shortest one player I think ever in the NBA that I know of was Muggsy Bogues. Is it 5'3", right? 5'3". 5'3". That's amazing. So yeah. It is possible. <laughs> it is possible, but it, it's, he's a rarity, and he was so lightning fast mm-hmm. that they would he would just be all over you. So right. uh, <laughs> at least down down near your legs anyhow. Mm-hmm. So uh, don't give up. If you're short, <laughs> you're, you're hoping to make a career yeah. of it. You could still just have to be super, super fast. Uh, a couple of headlines to look at today, including this one uh, locally here in Oklahoma and also in Kentucky. It's from CNN.com. Teachers walk out in Oklahoma and Kentucky. And, uh, Gino, you had a good point in the beginning uh, when we were talking before we came mm-hmm. on the air that uh, the students were walking out just a week ago or so, and now the <laughs> teachers are walking out, so they're all kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, it's it's quite a coincidence, I guess, that the teachers are going the route of what the students are doing. Uh, the, st- the teachers are probably seeing the whole thing it's like oh they're the students are getting their own way by you know walking out yeah. why don't we do the same so yeah. it's i think there's a connection there well it's certainly drumming up attention mm-hmm. you know they're they're t- walking out in the case of the teachers here in oklahoma and kentucky and i think west virginia did it a while ago it's because they want more pay mm-hmm. um and so the uh president of the national education association lily uh, garcia said teachers in oklahoma are not playing games uh, last week, legislators approved a measure that includes a $6,100 pay raise for teachers, mm, which wow. is pretty good, but mm-hmm. they say that's not enough. Uh, that she says they passed something and then immediately within 24 hours started undoing the funding, dismantling the funding. So they're playing games. We're not playing games. This is real. And this is the result of a decade of underfunding public schools. So they want a little more pay there. Um Kind of interesting. They do give some examples on CNN about people that are having to work a lot of jobs mm-hmm. that are teachers. 
it seems a little extreme to me, so I don't know the the exact history there. Um, but you know, again, it, there's I guess a budget shortfall in some way, and um, what's that expression like? You can't get blood out of a turnip or something like that. <laughs> it, if the money's not there, I don't know what you do. Maybe now, maybe it is there, and they just feel like it needs to be reallocated. But uh, you know, there's it, it's just an interesting situation. Uh, good teachers are are very valuable. How much should they be paid? You know, the, a lot of questions there. Yes, yeah, it's, it's really hard to pinpoint where the problem is. I'm sure there are problems on both sides, like lack of funding, and uh, maybe situations with the teachers too. Like you said, there's several stories there that they have to struggle with multiple jobs, and maybe they do have to because they're supporting a bigger family. I don't know. So there's a lot of things that we don't know about their situation. Yeah, I don't know if uh, if you can just walk out and get more money. Like, I mm-hmm. that's <laughs> if that's all it took, then probably a lot of people would walk <laughs> out and things. And that does happen. Mm-hmm. You see strikes and so forth. But anyway, uh, everybody does want good teachers for their their children, and so hopefully they can come to some sort of happy medium. I don't know. It's a mm-hmm. tough situation, but that's uh, happening today in Oklahoma. So I guess I'm trying to think if Oklahoma's on spring break right now for all the schools. I'm not sure on the exact dates on that, so uh, I would think probably not because it wouldn't be very effective to walk out when no one's right. there. So they're probably back on school already. So the students, I don't know how the students feel. They're probably like, hey, we're, we're fine. We can let this drag on for a week or so, uh, get another vacation. <laughs> but then even for them, you think, okay, well, how how uh, do we have to go further into the summer? Or you know, you don't want to have to repeat a year because you couldn't finish. And then uh, another interesting side to it is just that a lot of parents rely on the school as some sort you know, kind of like a, I hate to say a daycare, but I mean, it's Mm -hmm. where the kids go and then they can go do their jobs or whatever. And if all of a sudden you haven't, the kids can't go to school for a few days, that that can cause some problems for the parents too. So I guess the feeling is like, you know, if we can throw a wrench into people's plans enough, then we'll get some action on this budget. Mm -hmm. Just twisting their arm, I guess, to to uh, increase what they want i don't uh, maybe they want more than 6000 and such uh yeah, it's it's a very tricky situation and um you can't blame the teachers too um like you said s- maybe quite a few parents uh treat the school as a daycare and i've seen several testimonies of teachers like oh i'm so stressed i have so much to do and you can't blame them because you have students who probably or most likely don't listen to their their teachers when they're walking out uh, protesting something and uh, they probably don't feel appreciated that much and on top of that they don't get paid as much so it's a very hard situation yeah i think the teachers have to sort of unofficially wear several hats in terms of their job i mean say you're a math teacher well it's a lot of times it's not just about teaching math you almost have to be sort of a uh, psychologist in a way, mm, I guess, because right. you've got to deal with all the the drama and the trauma mm. in the classroom sometimes just from normal, I guess, teenage uh, <laughs> uh, issues. But, you know, the because the discipline is not there like it used to be in most <laughs> cases. Uh, and then, you know, I, I've been out of high school for, well, do I dare say? It's been 20 years. <laughs> uh, and, you know, when I was in school, we didn't even have the social media issues. And there were, you know, enough just regular problems. But now even with the kids on social media, you know, potentially having the phones in the school, I don't know what the policies Mm -hmm. are. But a lot of distractions there. And we were talking earlier, and I was just mentioning how 
uh, there was a situation at my the school I used to go to after I'd graduated. It was years down the road, but I saw it on the news where uh, the student was really acting out in class, and he was badgering the teacher and using some very inappropriate language. And the teacher got frustrated and uh, grabbed the student by the kind of the shoulders mm-hmm. and said, you know, right. knock it off or something, which you're not supposed to do. And uh, the teacher got fired. And, uh, I, you know, not that you'd want teachers going around grabbing kids, right. but at the same time, when you know there's not really any punishment, uh, and the kid, who knows, he maybe got suspended or something, but y- you do see people, young people being a lot more bold because they're just not having the same fear of uh, knowing that there's zero tolerance. Mm-hmm. And so it... it <laughs> How much? How much? Uh, w- how much would you need to get paid to make that sort of day-to-day mm. life uh, worthwhile to you? Uh, yeah. And you know, again, it would depend on school districts, but I can understand some of their frustrations. Yeah, there's definitely a lot less respect for the teachers nowadays. Um, I was in high school nine years ago, uh, <laughs> and um, in the Philippines, it's quite different because I think teachers are more more bold, maybe because it's a you know, third world country and uh, the Western influence is not that strong. But I was scared of my teachers. I was scared of my Chinese teachers. I took up Chinese and she would, uh, you know, twist my ear. <laughs> really? <laughs> and I'd, I probably deserved it, you know, yeah. because I was creating a, a, a ruckus. So, you know, when, when you fear punishment, you'll, you'll change, you'll change your behavior. Yeah. But like you said, if they know that the teachers can't do anything, to them because of the law and such and like you said they shouldn't anyway but there should be a, a type of control over your emotions and your behavior towards someone in authority yeah and it, and it starts at home with the mm-hmm. parents and if if they're taught at home to respect the authority then hopefully they will but yeah so anyway interesting situation there and see how that progresses in some of these different states uh including oklahoma today there's a uh some new data out about the uh president's approval rating they always like to track that and if you were just to listen to the mainstream media you'd think that president uh, trump is the most disliked human being in the history of (laughs) mankind that's not so Uh, the rasmussen reports daily presidential tracking poll for today shows that 50 percent of likely u.s voters approve of president trump's job performance Mm. he's got a 50 percent approval rating uh 49 percent disapprove and so that's really quite astounding considering the media onslaught where really uh, most media outlets really go after him pretty strongly. Yeah, don't, you don't hear about the 50% who actually like Mr. Trump. And that's, it's, it's skewing the, the, the consumer, the, the viewer's view of how it is actually. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing that he's got that percentage. It's, it's really quite astounding mm-hmm. because typically when somebody gets put into the the media cycle in a very negative way then people tend to view them in that however they're presented in this case negatively but mm. no there's a lot of people that strongly approve of what he's doing they say the latest figures include 33 percent who strongly approve so they're even more excited mm-hmm. about the way the president's performing and then there's 39 percent that strongly disapprove in the uh, lower or those that don't mm-hmm. uh, agree with what he's doing so Anyway, uh, again, it, the United States is split literally right down the middle, 50 to 49 mm-hmm. or 50 to 50. There's always a little bit of you know vari- variation in the numbers, but we are, yeah, we're split right down the middle on the president. Right, yeah. I was just thinking about our conversation last week about 
Mr. Obama, ex-president Obama, saying, we just need one million young Obamas. And you said, like, what if Mr. Trump said that? And I was thinking about that. I was like, man, that would be so bad. Mm-hmm. They would, oh, they'd be all over him. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what a lot of people do recognize is that the, the media has treated these two men very differently. Mm-hmm. President Obama and President Trump very differently. And there's a lot of write-ups on the Trumpet.com that explain really why that's happening including America Under Attack, which mm. is a really uh, uh, just a tremendous program. It's uh, Actually, there was a Kia David program on that that's going to be replayed coming up in a week or two here. So it's a really good one to look at. Um, this is a right up here from the Washington Examiner. Uh, there's always problems at the border with Mexico. Mm-hmm. It says Mexico aids Easter invasion of over 1,000 illegals into the U.S., so they're not helping at all. I, and it's always a little bit interesting to me. You you think you'd have pride in your country, you mm-hmm. know, like, no, don't go to America, stay here and make Mexico amazing. <laughs> but yet it seems like the government officials just let people come into the U.S. Um, and maybe, you know, it helps their economy or something. But I just just that, like, empirical self where you want to consider yourself to be good <laughs> or, right. or strong and powerful and uh, – but – it doesn't seem like Mexico is interested in shutting that border down very much. Yeah, that's yeah, very interesting because um, I think you would have some sort of ties to your country or at least you're fond of your country. Like I, I love my country, the Philippines, and uh, I would never replace it with anything else. At the same time, America is very great. It's tons of opportunities here. And just looking on it on the opposite end, the Americans are not doing anything too uh, to stop immigrants from coming in their country illegally. Right. And they're just saying, just come on, just uh, break the law and just come on in, which makes it harder for those uh, migrants, legal migrants like myself maybe, uh, to get uh, get access to America or come in here legally. Right, and I've seen, that's a really good point because I have seen some, some uh, reports showing that those, even say from Mexico, that are in the United States legally, they really dislike this illegal mm-hmm. business because it they're trying to do things the right way and uh, they should have every opportunity to be successful because they're following the law. And then they've got other people breaking the law and they can kind of get lumped in with that. And, that's, and then, too, for people that want to come in legally, I mean, if you're looking at it and you're weighing it, you'd think, well, I mean, well, nobody else is. Right. It's like being anywhere. Um, for example, uh <laughs> When uh, years ago I went to Ireland and I came, we were flying back to the U.S. and we came through Dallas-Fort Worth. So you have to come through the customs mm-hmm. when you come in. And everyone's standing in this long customs line and it's, you know, it's a long line and we're all kind of just sick of standing there. But that's <laughs> that's the process. Yeah. And then a group of people just decide we're not waiting in line and they just walked on through. Hmm. And security sort of half-heartedly tried to stop them, and, but they did and they let them go. And... uh so you could see even in the line, we were, everyone starts looking around like, well, I don't know, should we stay right. in the line? Because when you see somebody just doing something different than the law, then there's that temptation for everybody mm-hmm. to do it. Why should I wait in line? They, they right. Nothing happened to them. And so uh, I think that would be some of the mentality of people trying to come into the U.S. as well. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely apparent in even our past use stories, like teachers or students walking out or students acting brashly on uh, people in authority, and now uh, immigrants, <laughs> mm-hmm. illegal immigrants, just crossing over because they don't 
they don't they know that they're not going to get punished they just there's no uh repercussions to their actions so they just go ahead and do it and it just shows how powerful the media is because they're so good at finding the i guess tearjerker stories and i'm sure there are a lot of incidents there that are actually you know they've been here for for how many years and they've served in the military i'm not saying there's nothing wrong that the government has done everything right yeah but yeah the media is so strong it just reminds me of the Philippines. I know. I don't know if a lot of our listeners know Mr. Duterte, the mm-hmm. presidential. Uh, a lot of people probably know because he's, he's so fiery and yeah. he just speaks his mind. Anyway, the Western media hates him. Like if you see uh, news reports of him, um, it's usually negative, and there, it's probably right because he just spouts off non- nonsense. But if you go to the Philippines, if I was talking to my parents recently, and uh, they were they went to Manila, which is the capital, and they were just talking to this taxi driver, and the taxi driver just was talking nonstop of how he loved Duterte, on how you know before Duterte I wouldn't go and drive my taxi at night. Now in Manila I go out because I feel safe and everyone feels safe. You can walk out at night. So the general view of president duterte in the philippines is good mm. but the media is like nah nah he's bad he's bad we shouldn't have him like that right so it's kind of the same as mr trump um ah mr trump is bad but if you ask probably someone an american say like, yeah i like him right and then the same with the this immigration issue mm-hmm. to where yeah you can find the people that want everyone to come over with no problems but you find a lot of people that say mm-hmm. actually we do not agree with that but mm-hmm. they don't get highlighted uh, but with this particular story, this is the Mexican officials have aided a quote-unquote Holy Week caravan of over 1,000 migrants headed <laughs> to the U.S. border to demand Easter asylum. I, I didn't know you could demand that. Uh, mostly Hondurans. Mm. They posted uh, celebration videos on Facebook and chanted, we are migrants, we are not criminals, we are workers. Mm. I and mean, that's fine, but if you come into a country illegally, then then you are you are a criminal yeah. because you've done something illegally. And so anyway, they say locals have provided supplies along the way, so Mexico is not trying to stop this apparently. <laughs> Their goal is to cross into the U.S. Uh, over the weekend and demand asylum, um, but they have also prepared special security measures should something go wrong. Uh, so they've got some help here. So anyway, they're uh, they're uh, trying to come in here, and President Trump's you know noticed it. Everyone notices this caravan of people coming, and so... Uh, President Trump has stepped up his some mm-hmm. of his talk about mm-hmm. trying to do something about the illegal immigration, right. and and uh, the thing that I think that always gets lost in all this emotion about these topics is that you can come to the United States. There's a legal process right. for it, and uh, you know it it is a little more involved than just rolling across the mm-hmm. border and setting up a tent. Uh, but but there's a way to get here, and those that are a, that are very much uh, sort of the open border people, they they make it seem like you know, no one can ever come to the U.S. and the U.S. hates immigrants and all this. Right. Not true, but but there are laws, and as long as people follow the laws, then that's awesome. Yeah, no one, no one has ever died from keeping the law, as as far as I'm concerned. Like I was here for four years, and um, there might have been more paperwork and more effort to stay here legally, but I I'm here without a problem. It's like this. It's just bad that people think they should be entitled to come in here, uh, come to a country, therefore not their country, 
and uh without doing anything it's just a wrong mindset it's just weird yeah and it's um when you come legally like you have then you don't have to worry about things Mm -hmm. you just you know you're not doing anything wrong Mm -hmm. there's nothing to there's no fear uh like a lot of them do have when they come illegally so anyway that's an ongoing situation there uh, Bloomberg has a story today about the rising rates are sounding alarm bells for debt-laden U.S. consumers. They're they're raising the interest rates a little bit to try to um, keep the economy growing at a right r- rate, I guess. It says Americans have a history of loading up on debt in good times, which we're in good times, by the way, in case you didn't know that, <laughs> <laughs> according to the, some, some analysts. Then paying dearly when the bills come due, it says, adding to the pain, a booming economy is often accompanied by rising interest rates. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's happening is that the consumers are pretty confident, and so people are starting to load up their credit mm-hmm. cards again, and uh, and car loans and student debt. And so feeling like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll take care of it. Uh, and as they point out in this article, um, raising the uh, interest rates a little bit doesn't have a major impact necessarily but if you are in a situation where you're so tight on your budget that you have no wiggle room mm. any added right. expense starts to eat away right. pretty quickly and that's so that's what they're saying if people are just loading up the credit cards and thinking i'll worry about it another day right you, you know you might find yourself in a bad situation yeah that's very dangerous my parents always taught me to not have debt or as us if at all possible, don't go into debt with anything. I remember when I was young, my parents bought me a bamboo piggy bank. <laughs> you call it that? Yeah. So uh, I just put in, you know, I was probably eight or ten years old, and I just put in, you know, like a dollar or two every day and some coins. So they taught me that, you know, debt is not good. Just don't buy anything if you don't have money. It's kind of like common sense. Yeah. But a funny story was uh, I was saving uh, with this bamboo uh, piggy bank and after a year of saving we opened it up and we I to my distraught and my pain I the bills were eaten up by termites oh no <laughs> so, so it's, it didn't really uh, enforce the good habit of saving there but my parents said oh yeah well they gave me money it's like yeah that was a it's good to save. Here you go. Yeah. Here's some money. Like that was just unfortunate that it was right. eaten that way. Yeah. That's well. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You don't want to necessarily uh, just stick all your money like under the mattress or something because it could have problems. Mm-hmm. But uh, the principle is right to save it up. Um, but that would be so discouraging. You're yeah. So excited to see how much <laughs> money you have and it was all eaten up. Yeah. I was just thinking about what I said. It's like bamboo, bamboo, piggy bank. No one probably has that in the U.S. No, <laughs> not, that would be like a, that would be a pretty unique specialty item. I could see, I could see people really liking it. Right. Was it in the shape of like a pig or was it? No, it just was just a like box? a straight up bamboo. You know how bamboos have several layers in them? Okay. So you just cut out a portion and then you oh. cut out a hole and you just put your money there. Oh, huh. It's very primitive. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. I guess when I think of bamboo, I just think of a, the the sticks and then they mm. kind of make something with it but this is a little uh, different than that or is it yeah it's big it's about i don't know six, six inches in diameter it's a pretty big bamboos can get very oh, big wow wow it's <laughs> fascinating i'm learning all kinds of things here about cultural <laughs> yeah cultural yeah i'm learning things mm. that would be that'd be neat though but i i don't think i'll use one of those unless it's <laughs> coins They'll all be right. coins right. so they can't be eaten uh so anyway uh it is a good note though to pay attention just to uh not stacking on the debt because mm-hmm. uh, 
as they say, if you don't have any wiggle room, then uh, you can get, things get tight quickly. And then, of course, those bills, uh, they do come due. Mm-hmm. You have to pay them. Uh, the Baltimore Sun has this write-up about what's going on in Baltimore. They've had a lot of problems over there, a lot of violence. And it says, what's causing Baltimore's population loss? It's no mystery. Uh, with the U.S. Census Bureau reporting yet another year of population loss for the city, they say it doesn't take an investigator to determine the causes. The city's scary record of 343 homicides in 2017, it's almost one a day, affirmed the city's well-known reputation as a dangerous place to live. Hmm. And they say even if 2018 has fewer homicides, it doesn't take a fortune teller <laughs> to predict that this year's homicide rate will be high. Until the uh, city substantially reduces its homicide and other crime rates, people will continue to view the city as dangerous and be reluctant to stay or move here. And they say, too, uh, they have outrageous property tax. Basically, you're taxed uh, $2 and a quarter for every $100 of property assessed value. It's more than double of the surrounding jurisdictions. So you get taxed more, and then uh, people are getting murdered. (laughs) And so, like they say, unless the city can find a way to reduce its homicides. But how are they going to do that um, other than upholding the law and cracking down on the smaller crimes? I think Mayor Rudy Giuliani set a pretty good example in New York years ago when he, he said, well, let's stop the smaller crimes, and then we, the bigger crimes will also go away, and he had pretty good success with that. But when the police... Uh, would you want to be a police officer going out there where everyone's saying, mm. well, who did you pull over and what race were they? Yeah. What can you do? Your hands are kind of tied. So I don't, I don't know what Baltimore can do to stop their uh, crime wave. Yeah, when you're scared of the citizen instead of scared of the policeman, that's something to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no easy solution to this except just uphold the law, create a strong police force, maybe take a note from the Philippines, President Duterte, maybe not that much, <laughs> but take that stance of like, hey, there's a law here. Um, you, you better abide by it or something like that. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to, um, well, there's no way to solve the problem unless you, you do start upholding the laws. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, ultimately, you'd have to go back and really get the families on track, and right. that's something mm-hmm. the city of Baltimore is not going to be able to do. <laughs> but uh, but still, even just having, like, uh, like you said, a stronger police force, and actually... And just getting rid of the, uh, you know, uh, oh, uh, situational ethics. Mm-hmm. You know, was it okay here? Was it not okay there? Look, you broke the law. You broke the law. There's a penalty that's right. involved. Not having a double standard. Don't have mm-hmm. a double standard. I mean, even you know, they continued to have some of those protests in Sacramento over the weekend about Stephon Clark, who was shot out there. And then so people come out and they're protesting. And then the police have to come out and kind of manage the protesting. And then a police car hit a woman. Uh, I don't think it killed her. I think, but she got bumped or something. Mm. So then that's the story. Police are running people over. And I thought, well, look, you're out there protesting, and they're they're <laughs> out. You're gonna have, and and the cop car, of course, was almost destroyed, mm. not by that person, <laughs> but people were smashing it, right. and kicking it, and all, all the things that they do. And so it, it's it just highlights, like you said, that double standard where they can come out and riot kick in the windows and then as the car is moving you know it bumps somebody and then everyone's mm-hmm. like look at there they're running people yeah. over well you know i mean i don't think it takes too much uh, just common sense to realize if you don't want to get say bumped by a police car don't be in a mob that's kicking and punching right. a police car say like sometimes they protest about 
you know, wages and whatever they're protesting. And instead of helping the government, you know, probably not cause them trouble, they're actually creating more ja- damage and creating more debt and creating more expense that the city has to pay for. <laughs> and what they're protesting is like, oh, we want uh, rights and this and this and this, but they're destroying their property, their city's city properties. Right. That's a really good point. I mean, who pays for the police cars? It's mm. tax dollars, right? Mm. So they're they're actually now maybe they don't pay taxes. I don't <laughs> know, but but somebody's going to have to pay for it. Somebody's going to have to foot the bill, and that is sort of the thing. That is a thing that's been noticed over the years. When there's a lot of riots, people burn their own communities down. Right. And people say, well, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. What good did that do? <laughs> He's burned down your own community. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and the thing is, once a mob gets going, there's no there's no controlling it. And mm-hmm. uh, sometimes people get attacked. Uh, I don't think that happened in Sacramento, <laughs> but it's happened in other cities where just innocent bystanders, some people that even live in those neighborhoods. Right. They get their house burned down. Mm-hmm. Like, what did I do? Yeah. So anyway, those mobs never bring anything good. Yeah, I feel very sad for people in authority, teachers, policemen, because they have to be careful they don't offend the people who are breaking the law because right. they can get sued and they can get fired for upholding the law instead of, uh, you know, that someone's breaking the law regardless of race, gender, or anything they are, I'm going to stop them. Yeah. But in this case, they're like, oh, um, I have to be careful here. I might get fired or I might get... Uh, lambasted for my actions. Yeah. Which is, oh, it's just weird. It's a, that's a, just a great point. I mean, yeah, that's basically what they're saying is, uh, I don't mean to offend you, but could you stop breaking the law? <laughs> and how, <laughs> how could I gently, mm. you know, you see the same thing happen in a, in a, in family situations at the grocery store sometimes, right? right? <laughs> the kids throwing a tantrum and, yeah. you know, we would really appreciate it if you stop throwing a tantrum and, uh, but I don't want to offend you in any way. So how could we? They're, right. you know, they're never going to stop unless you can uphold the law with sometimes an iron fist within reason. You know what I mean? Laying down the law in a proper way, uh, whether it's you know an individual basis or it's a society wide issue. The, the the misbehavior, the temper tantrum, the riots—they mm-hmm. will never stop. Yeah, there's just a lack of discipline. I guess starting with the family um, and discipline. But I mean, discipline is not abuse. Right. I was disciplined and it turned out well, and I'm sure it's turned out well for a lot of parents who have disciplined sternly their children and loved them the right way, taught them the right way. And like you said, you see it in the groceries, like, don't you dare get that or I'm going to leave you. You're not going to have them. I actually, this is actually a, a real situation where I was at uh, this grocery store and this, uh, was it here in the U S or in the U S okay. in Oklahoma. And, uh, this young girl was acting up because her, her mom wouldn't buy her this sugar filled treat or something. And she was just crying and screaming. And the mom said, "You better, you better fix yourself, or you're not gonna. I'm gonna leave now. You're not gonna have mommy." It's like, what? <laughs> you're not gonna have a mommy, mm-hmm. but that's pretty. That's <laughs> terrifying. Right? But I'm in most cases, the kids they've been told that before, and they're like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, sure." Right. So anyway, there's uh, all, all kinds of issues with that, and uh, Baltimore is seeing the the fruits of the family breakdown on the streets, and it's a bad, bad deal. Here's a really fascinating story. If, uh, there's a lot of people that really like birds, and but it just uh, I, I think it's just an amazing story. It shows uh, the amazing uh, way God creates things, and it probably gives us a lesson as humans as well. It says, a lesson from mating birds. The song gets sweeter over time, a Miami scientist finds. 
So uh, people that are married, maybe that's a good that's a good thing to think about. Uh, it says on a dewy summer morning, uh, Carla Rivera Caceres, she's uh, an ornithology researcher at the University of Miami, Miami uh, crouched in her usual workspace, the tall grasses of Costa Rica's woodland, and heard something unusual. Uh, she studies uh, bird song, and that day she was listening to the. Canebrake wren, a brown bird whose bland appearance, it was once named the plain wren, <laughs> uh, belies an unusual and extremely complex call. Canebrake wrens are songbirds, the subset of species whose calls develop beyond the standard tweet or chirp into full-fledged ballads. And mm. I'm sure we've all heard birds that really, really get going with that. They say, and within that group, they are part of a somewhat exclusive club, duetting birds. So they will sing a song together. When two when two of these wrens communicate, they weave their song into an elaborate uh, Sonny and Cher style duet. Although I would say probably much better than Sonny and Cher, <laughs> uh, they warble back and forth, literally finishing each other's phrases with such high coordination that to an outsider they sound like a single voice. But as uh, this uh, lady that studies birds sat listening that morning in 2011, she noticed something odd about the pair's effort, these two birds. Their duet was really bad. (laughs) They weren't good. (laughs) The birds were sloppy. They chirped over each other. They sang the wrong responses and messed up the timing. They were young, still inexperienced at singing, and it showed. As birdsong goes, their act was like a (laughs) five-year-old belting opera. In the world of bird science, her observation proved huge. And so what she came to find out was that they have to practice, and they get better over mm-hmm. time, and they learn how to sing together, and they develop uh, a, a song together. And so the longer they're together, the better they become at singing these songs. So I thought that's really fascinating that they discovered that about birds. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because when you think about animals, you think of a set pattern of behavior but here's different. I've I've never heard of this uh, bird before. So they actually do learn together. Yeah, <laughs> they they. She says it's like a conversation between humans. Huh. When you first meet somebody, and you maybe you you're not familiar with them. Occasionally, you can both start speaking at the same time, or it's a little right. awkward. <laughs> but then, as you get to know them, you you develop a way of communicating. And then also, she said, their songs are very particular. It's almost like friends would develop an inside joke. They have a way, you know, where they they communicate. And uh, she said the rules are called uh, duet codes. Mm. They they have a specific pattern to what they're doing. Every time a male sings one song type, the female will answer with a certain other song type. And uh, she says people, you know, sort of do this as well when they're learning to speak to each other. And so they're very carefully timed. They they don't have awkward pauses and interruptions in their song. And uh, when they're learning to sing, it says if they overlap, the bird stops singing. You know, it's like, (laughs) you know, whose turn is it? And so she says it's sort of like manners. And the way they kind of tested this is they took two two birds that had been together for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And they took one of them away and they introduced a new bird. And so at first it was awkward again. Like they they didn't do it right. And then they observed it and then the songs got to be really good again. So they could tell that they're learning this and they develop this pattern and the longer these two birds are together the sweeter their song is wow that sounds like a human interaction right from the get-go the more you know the person the more you can talk about uh, a certain issue or a certain thing Mm -hmm. wow that's amazing (laughs) yeah she gives a example of like 
you know, you go up to somebody and you say, uh, what's the weather like? And, and you expect a certain response. Right. You expect them to mention something mm-hmm. about the weather. And that's sort of the way the birds are, where they they begin to anticipate and understand what the other one's going to do. And uh, so anyway, when you, you know, when you have a friendship that's long term or a marriage or something, uh, I think it is just a good indication that uh, those should be getting better, too. You know, people shouldn't be getting more irritated with each other. They actually should be getting closer and closer together. I mean, the birds can do it, so we should be able to do it, too. It says here in the study that you mentioned, aversion to pauses and interruptions is also a conventional of human conversations. But um, I feel like when you are close to someone, you don't mind the silence, though. I was just, that's the only thing, difference that I thought of humans. Yeah, I don't. I don't mind the silence. It's comfortable. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, being I've heard that. I heard somebody say that one time that you know you're really a good friend, or you're very comfortable with somebody when you can it can be silent and it's not awkward. Right. As long as it's not 24/7. Sure. Silent. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's there's, different. There's a time. There's a time for that. But anyway, really fascinating study. <clears throat> you know, of course, I think they look at it from like an evolution standpoint, mm. which which we're not looking at right. it from that standpoint because God created the birds mm-hmm. <laughs> to do what they do, but it it is interesting that he built them that way and uh and you know sometimes you can watch uh, something in nature and learn learn something of value about mm. maybe the way we should think right. about things or conduct mm-hmm. ourselves and uh so i thought that was just a pretty neat study um and I, you know for a lot of us myself included i hear them singing and i don't birds in general and i don't think a whole lot about it other than mm-hmm. oh that sounds nice yeah you know uh but there's a lot going on if you really listen to them yeah, I think the listeners now will probably listen to the birds more often and say, oh, yeah, I do notice it. Yeah, it's, well, I know uh, probably in a lot of places, I'm not sure about the Philippines, but like say in some of the colder climates in the United States, when you have winter, you know, the birds fly away, mm-hmm. most of them. And so you don't, the songbirds, you don't hear them very often. And then when spring comes and they come back, the first few days, boy, yeah, it's like who turned the radio on full yeah. blast. Like I always remember really noticing it, and that was always sort of the moment where you felt like spring has arrived. Right. But if, is that the same case Philippines or because it's warmer, it's they're always around. They're always around, yeah. but there are a lot more uh, animals here, a lot more birds, a lot more oh. nice songs that you could hear every morning. Oh yeah, it's relaxing. I like it. It's it. I don't find it as noise. It's not like. Right. turning on the television and just background noise. It's but, actually quite relaxing, and God probably meant for that to be relaxing. Yeah, that's I've thought of that too in the past, where something in nature can be really, really loud, mm-hmm. uh, frogs at night mm-hmm. or crickets or something, right. um, but it's not distra- It's not irritating. It's not, now, yeah. there are some animals that are a little irritating. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cicadas you know, oh, they just right. make that yeah. irritating sound, mm-hmm. <laughs> for me anyway, and then... Uh, uh, there's been a bird or two that's showing up that just kind of <laughs> squawks and you're like, get that thing out of here. But for the most part, it's it's uh, usually those squawks are a warning. Like, oh, I don't mm-hmm. want that bird around yeah. here. Uh, so I thought this was kind of a neat story. Uh, this is another headline that's really interesting. You, you remember, of course, uh, the Confederate monuments that everyone's been upset about. Uh, I shouldn't say everyone, but some have been upset about. And right. tearing down, there's a list of all the ones they've torn down. It is a long list. And now that same movement is moving to uh, Native American statues. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from the L.A. Times. Uh, First it was Confederate monuments, now statues offensive to Native Americans are poised to topple across the U.S. Everybody's being offended now. 
Uh, it says, in February, San Francisco officials, so this is kind of taken off in California, mm-hmm. uh, said they plan to remove a prominent downtown monument depicting a defeated Native American at the feet of a uh, Spanish missionary. In March, the San Jose City Council booted a statue of Christopher Columbus. Other states are joining the movement. The city of Kalamazoo, Michigan, said last month it would take down a park monument of a Native American in a headdress kneeling before a westward-facing pioneer. In uh, New Mexico and El Paso, uh, statues of the conquistador Juan de Onate, sorry, something (laughs) like that, have become subjects of renewed debate. And in Baltimore, a city councilman has vowed to replace a smashed Columbus monument with something that better reflects current day values. What are current day values? In the city of Baltimore, that'd be somebody shooting. Somebody. <laughs> yeah, people playing. <laughs> yeah, everyone running away from a gun. I thought of uh, a citizen on his smartphone. That's what I think of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the tech man. Yeah, the tech man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So they're they're in the I guess the one the reason the one in California is getting a little more attention is because that would be a statue of uh, President McKinley <clears throat> that they're thinking about taking right. down, and I don't think well I don't know uh, maybe there's been some presidents taken down I'm not sure but so anyway it's a debate and and there's a lot of emotion on both sides of it but I thought uh, there was one comment on the story that I thought was pretty good the person said um, reminders of history tell a story uh, not one always that everyone will like but they are important stories and should be understood. And um, I think the the danger in <clears throat> getting rid of all these monuments and so forth is that you start to blot out American history. Mm-hmm. And not, not every part of it's great. Right. But it's still American history. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking about even, say, Europe. Um, it's not pleasant to remember the Holocaust. Right. But what do you, would you would they prefer that they tear down remembrance of it mm. so we forget about it? Yeah. Um, it seems like sometimes you need to remember things and you need to remember the good and the bad so that you can emulate the good and not repeat the bad. Right. They, there's a saying that if you don't learn from history, then you're bound to repeat it. And when you remove those statues or those reminders of what uh, the forefathers' mistakes were, what their achievements were or was. Um, then you won't be learning anything. You you'll be erasing history, and uh, and it's showing now. They just don't want to remember, and it's based on the uh, idea that America is its its system is wrong or flawed, which it actually is not. It's America has done so mu- so many good to the world. I'm not saying that America is has not done its 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 damage too, but I think the benefits outweigh. Uh, whatever issues that were there were yeah and i mean if you look at if you look at biblical history there are many times when god had israel make a monument to remember mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. and um in some cases it was a good thing in other cases it was a warning right and so there there was monuments that were erected in those cases so uh, i think the danger is in uh blotting out american history and that's the that's a dangerous way to go and you know you could put up like they say they want to in baltimore put up a statue that reflects current day values well but that will change won't it mm-hmm. and then you're going to tear that one down and put a different one every up year. <laughs> every every year yeah. uh and and if it's just a matter of offending people i mean where does it stop I, people people are offended by a lot of things yeah they're 
pretty much rewriting history. Like you said, um, having a Holocaust museum is not pleasant. I went one went to uh, Yad Vashem in uh, Jerusalem, Holocaust museum there, and it wasn't pleasant. I mean, it was very sobering, and it's eye-opening. It, you learn a lot by thinking about this history that's happened not lo- so long ago. Um, and I was just thinking, if this continues... Uh, you could even argue, oh, um, the Holocaust Museum offends the the Germans or offends the Jews. Why not just get rid of it and have a museum with our current values and situations? I'm like, you don't do that, right? It is it is interesting. I mean, I was just reading recently about some of the history during the Civil War, and and there was a when the Civil War was going, there was also a Native American uprising up in. Uh, I guess Wisconsin, Minnesota area, and and they were provoked. The Native Americans were because they were getting a certain amount of money from the government, and because of the Civil War, mm-hmm. the, the money wasn't coming, and so they were upset and they wanted food or whatever. So they went in and they raided a white you know settlement. They killed a lot of people and mm-hmm. did a lot of damage. So then the U.S. government said, "Okay, well we need to we need to take a stand here," and and so they went back and then they killed then the other side. Mm-hmm. And now President Lincoln was the president at the time, but he didn't have all the facts on everything. He had to listen to intelligence and try to make the best decision that he could make. And somebody could sit there and pin it on him and say, well, look what he did. But Mm -hmm. there's a lot more to the story. There was bad on both sides. It wasn't right on either side of it. And so, uh, you know, anytime you think about history, there's just a lot of elements to it. And I think the people that want to tear things down aren't looking at all the elements of the actual history. It's they're they're thinking that option A or option B, and then there's there should be no uh, side effects or negative effects to to a cause, and like you said, they just don't know the entire story. And this is actually happening in Australia as well. We have a an article on the trumpet. It's very good. It was talking about the same thing. They were demolishing this Aboriginal uh, statue because it was offending the aboriginal uh, aboriginals mm-hmm. in Australia and they were saying oh the aborig- uh, aboriginals were there for 40,000 40 something years something like that yeah. before the settlers the Australian settlers and the facts show that, that that wasn't actually the case you know it was no one was there and uh they're still still pushing it regardless of the facts that hey this is why this is what happened there were no settlers there uh, we came in, but the there's an agenda. It's like, hey, let's erase history. This is offending uh, someone. Yeah, and it's it's yeah, it's all around the world, I guess. Yeah, it makes me think of you know when uh, the people brought the woman caught in adultery to Christ, mm-hmm. and they you know were accusing her, and and then he began to write in the dirt um, apparently their sins down, <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, well, you know whoever of you is uh, without, you know, sin, go ahead and throw the first stone at her. And they all left. Mm-hmm. And I think of that when I, you know, you think about tearing some of these monuments down, you know, you have a crowd there and it's like, well, okay, whoever, whichever one of you has no sins, go ahead and pull the statue down. Right. Who who doesn't, because the, the whole issue is, right, well, that statue of that person, they made mistakes. Mm-hmm. Well, who in the crowd hasn't made mistakes or who, you know, but the the thing with a lot of these statues is they talk about, they remind us of a history. Mm-hmm. There's some good in it. There's some bad in it. Right. But it reminds us of that. And for the people that want to pull it down, I mean, again, what do you want to put in its place? Who has not made a mistake? 
and it might be worth considering that before getting really worked up about a historical statue. Yeah, if they think about it deeper <laughs> and uh, just think about the history behind the monument, they would see why it's there, why is it there, then they, that should stop their tracks. But um, like you said, if you're in the mob mentality and you're um, you're offended, then nothing can stop you. You won't listen. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting topic, so there's, there's a, we're going to see probably a lot more of that. I uh, wanted to mention one other quick little story here in passing. Um, uh, this is a business idea that somebody's trying to do, and it, I don't know, might be worth thinking about. Uh, Washington Post says, Airbnb for cars is here. You know what Airbnb is? That's you know where you can go and say, I'm going to stay in uh, Oklahoma City, and I'll see who's going to rent me their house instead of going to a hotel or something. So now there's a startup company, I mm-hmm. guess, is trying to do the same thing for cars, basically, mm-hmm. And the rental car giants aren't happy. They're trying to stop it because uh, it's just like taxi drivers. They're right. Kind of, you know, you can get an Uber or something, and so you don't need the taxi driver anymore. And now they're saying, well, hey, why do we need car rentals? Everybody owns a car. Yeah. Just start renting your car out to yeah. people. I think that's good for the consumer. The more competition they have, the lesser the the price. So <laughs> it's good for, for the common man looking for a car. They have more options in they probably lower the price. It's lower, probably lower since it's a private vehicle. Yeah, they say. Well, in America, the average price of new vehicles is about thirty-three thousand dollars. So people are buying these cars and then saying, "Was well, there a way I can make money from mm. them?" Like I've got this huge expense on a depreciating asset, mm. and I, you know, maybe I don't drive it all the time. Can mm. I do something with it? And so, the, these uh, thinking minds are coming together and thinking <laughs> about doing that. And so, anyway, there's some pushback against that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know all the details of it yet, but I thought it was sort of an interesting note. Also, to follow up on that uh, Chinese space station that fell down, I guess oh. it, it did fell and it blew apart and over the Pacific. And uh, so, didn't hit anybody, but it is toxic. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was looking around that night to see if, I don't know what time it was going to pass by, but I was just trying to see maybe yeah it was the right timing but i didn't see it didn't see it yeah well it blew apart over the pacific and so uh unless it killed the fish or something everybody (laughs) everybody's okay but so it did fall down uh make sure today also you stop and check out the trumpet.com for the top story which is scroll to my notes here germany approves new russian gas pipeline uh, and you can see what's going on over there, and also the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today with your host, Mr. Stephen Flurry. That comes to you from Jerusalem. He was over mm-hmm. there. Uh, dig update and a look at the recent conflict there in Israel. And if it sounds a little different to you, it's because, as he explains, he's in an apartment in Jerusalem <laughs> doing it. So not quite the uh, comfy studio there at Edstone. So make sure you listen for that coming up uh, today here on Trumpet Radio. That's uh, all the time we have on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for spending some of your Monday with us. For Gino Chi and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.